the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. It's time now for a smart plane talk regarding politics, Israel, and the law. This is the Victory Hour with Andrew Parker of Parker Daniels Keyboard. Wise counsel, winning results. Now, here's your host, Andrew Parker. I'm impressed with my attorney, Bernie. I'm impressed with his influential friends. He's got very big connections. And it's I'm Sunday, 4 o'clock, and that means it's the best hour in radio of the week. I'm Andrew Parker, and thank you once again for joining me. It's always wonderful to be with you here on uh, just a couple of hours before Colney Dre, the holiest day of the year for Jews. Uh, good yontif to all. And uh, we may talk a bit about Yom Kippur uh, toward the end of the show. You know, I was watching, uh, flipping through a few channels, not paying much attention. And quite frankly, I don't watch an enormous amount of TV. Uh, But I caught... I think it was last, just this last week, uh, flipping through 60 Minutes. And for decades, I quickly flipped through 60 Minutes. <laughs> that is a show that I do not watch for obvious reasons we can talk about. But they were doing a segment, Leslie Stahl, the stalwart stall of 60 Minutes now. Nowadays, she was doing a segment on judicial reform in the state of Israel. And she went there and she interviewed people and she had, and, and, and so I, I watched for about a minute and, and then I couldn't take it anymore and I, I turned it off. Uh, during that minute, and by the way, I've gone back to look at it uh, since in preparation for discussing it a bit, but during that, minute. Uh, It was basically a minute of assailing the attempts, the audacity of attempting to change the judicial system in the state of Israel, regardless of what the rules or how it operates are. uh, The audacity, headlines and various comments just in that first minute that I saw, I will talk about In a little bit. First, I want to, right at the top here, give you a sense, and I've done it on previous shows, touched on it on previous shows, but I want to take a bit more of an educational deep dive into judicial reform in Israel. So you have a sense of this issue before 
we talk about why I turned off 60 minutes after one minute. You know, you could say, well, you watched one minute, you missed the 59 minutes. Yes, I, I did indeed. I did indeed. I'm the one minute, not 60 minutes. Couldn't take it. So I think that Eugene Kantorovich, who is a professor of law at the Antonin Scalia Law School in Virginia, and who I have talked about previously on the show and who I've met a number of times, and he is an international law scholar. Uh, And he heads the international law department of the Kohelet Policy Forum, an Israel-based think tank. Uh, And he knows a lot about this issue. For more than a decade, he has been studying and advocating about the judicial system in the state of Israel. Uh, Not to deteriorate, not to remove the power authority of uh, the judiciary in the state of Israel to the extent that it is a part of a democracy. You know, you could have an all-powerful judiciary that controls everything like a Politburo. And then to weaken that, it would make sense because to have an all-powerful judiciary, non-elected, and even the appointments are not by the electeds, uh, would be antithetical to a democratic system. It doesn't mean you elect judges. It just means there needs to be some connection to the people. And so Kantorovich, uh, again, uh, at um, uh, professor of law at, in Virginia and part of the Kohelet uh, Policy Forum, he has a much longer uh, resume as well. And he's a prolific uh, writer. Very knowledgeable on this stuff. His scholarship, in fact, has been cited by appellate courts, not just in the United States, many times in the United States, but, in fact, around the world. Uh, What he has said is that the Israeli Supreme Court, as currently established and set up, has absolute power. It can strike down any law or government action, and it's not limited by the rules of standing. That means any it can take any case in front of it and rule on it, uh, such as, and this happened in Israel, ruling on whether the prime minister can appoint his members of the cabinet, ruling on what military tactics the country can use, the Supreme Court, ruling on where to draw the borders of the country. They have absolute and unchecked power on the one hand, far more power than the American Supreme Court, by the way, and on the other hand, They're appointed through a method that is completely divergent, separated, cut off from democratic checks and balances. We, of course, have a three-branch government, 
with checks and balances between the three branches. Checks on each of them. Uh, Ingenious, really. But in Israel, they don't have that. As a result, they are uh, going through and selecting future justices by the currently sitting justices, for the most part. And so you will appoint people like you. And there's no override. There's no review. And so you end up with this perpetuating system regardless of where the electorate stands. Not even two steps removed, three steps removed, four steps removed. It's no steps removed, basically. Another way to think about it, and Kanarovich talks about this, the Supreme Court decides uh, Roe v. Wade. Many Americans think it's a big mistake, but they don't have to despair here because it isn't the last word. It may last for a long time. It's not going to change overnight, and it certainly didn't. But no one gets the last word because there's going to be elections in the future, and you can vote for politicians who are going to appoint judges with a different point of view than those on the Supreme Court and a point of view that mirrors your point of view. And eventually, the court will reflect the point of view of the electorate over time. That is how the system is to work. And that's how we've seen it in our lifetimes here in the United States. It has evolved. Now people say it's a conservative court. In some respects, maybe. Certainly. So... How did Israel arrive at this point where the Supreme Court is all-powerful? Well, I talked previously on the show about Aron Barak, and he called for a judicial revolution a number of decades ago in which the Supreme Court took upon itself the power to decide any case and decide it not based upon a constitution or interpreting a document or a statute or something like this, but based on reasonableness. Is it reasonable or is it not reasonable? And whenever anyone has tried to change this standard, this kind of philosopher king standard where all power and control rests with these justices who are not elected, The interesting reaction is you are killing democracy by doing that. You are anti-democratic. You are authoritarian. You, Bibi Netanyahu, are trying to take over such that your ilk, your thinking, your radical ideology of conservatism is trying to cement itself in place forever. And that just isn't what the reforms are about. In fact, it arguably, and I think certainly, is the opposite. It is to increase the connection to democracy.
and to tether decisions to something rather than just whatever the sitting justices think is reasonable. When we come back from uh, this short break, I'm going to finish up on uh, my little educational background regarding the Israel justice reform ideas. Uh, And then turn to 60 Minutes and what caused me to turn off CBS. By the way, I bet you remember some of these uh, folks on 60 Minutes because I did used to watch it. Remember, I was a liberal. Oh, how can you say that it's a liberal show? They're very down the middle. and No, they're okay. They're not. Remember Harry Reasoner, Morley Safer? Yeah, of course you do. We all remember Dan Rather. Scott Johnson of Powerline Blog certainly does. Good friend. Shout out to Scott. Good yontif. We'll be back after this short break. In the meantime, go to Parker at, well, ParkerDK.com. You'll uh, find an award. Well, it's often referred to as an award-winning website. Wise Council Winning Results. That's our tagline, and we live by it. ParkerDK.com. We'll be right back after this short break. Stay tuned. We're back. It's the Victory Hour. Happy Sunday to you all, and thank you once again for joining us. Give us a call. Listen, I, uh, as, I, as I've studied the issue of judicial reform in the state of Israel, I'm not surprised by the level of angst by the level of protest, frankly, in the streets that has occurred in Israel. Israel, one of the most liberal countries uh, anywhere, even though its electorate has shifted a great deal and has probably 80% of the electorate now either center, just right of center, all the way to the far right. Almost 80% of the country fits into that category. I'm Lapid's party, I would count in the middle. I, they might be, I mean, to be fair, center left. Um, but regardless, uh, it has become a firestorm. There has been such intensity. Why? Because this is about shift of power. There is now, at this time, absolute power in the hands of a very liberal 15-member Supreme Court in the state of Israel. And each time a vacancy occurs, they replace their own. 
So you would think, what's the big deal about, you know, reform? Have the, you know, government have some say. The government being those that were elected by the people to speak out, like here in the United States. In America, we have one person who appoints the whole Supreme Court. Or it may be more than one person. It always is because they don't, there aren't vacancies that occur all at once. But it is the president. And we have that check and balance involved with the statewide elected senators in the U.S. Senate have to provide approval and consent. In most Western democracies, the judges don't get to pick the judges. But in Israel, that's how it works. All the government is saying, the government, Netanyahu's government, with the reform package, is that they want to be able to appoint some of the judges on the court, as opposed to the judges having control over all of their successors. That simply perpetuates forever the sort of um, political interests or attitudes or biases of the various judges. And there's no question judges are human and uh, while they may not have a political party tag attached to them, they all have biases and opinions. And if you are a strong left judge, you're going to want to appoint a successor who is like you. And that's what happens. Even when the government elected by the people has shifted dramatically from 75 years ago throughout the decades, many decades, when really the left was all that existed in Israel. That is no longer the case. And this last go-around, in terms of Israeli politics, relative to Israeli politics, it was near as a landslide for the conservatives. Of course, it wasn't. It was just a few seats. But in light of recent elections, four or five of them, in just the last few years, uh... It was neck and neck. It was one seat one way or the other. It was cobbling together a coalition that uh, could fall apart at any moment, which happened every time. Well, people don't like, many people in the United States don't like the coalition that was voted into office this time. That coalition ran in part on judicial reform, and they were elected. Now, one of the most robust democracies in the world, the state of Israel, I mean, few places with such freedom of expression, freedom of speech, freedom of the press. The press is relentless against the leadership and governing coalition in Israel. Uh, Arguably worse, for sure, than here, even against 
Donald Trump, believe it or not. Relentless. And you've got Joe Biden, the Democratic Party, and all of the liberal hue and cry and drumbeat coming out of the United States to interfere and get involved in Israeli politics and tell them what to do. And then you have a strong coalition of center and left uh, citizens who are out in the streets like they do here with very loud voices. But there's one difference. I was here in the city of Minneapolis, downtown, during the burning and carnage. It was substantial. I mean, it was outrageous. The protests. And not just in the summer of 2020, but even before that, Black Lives Matter. Uh, Very active in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, and St. Paul. And oftentimes, these were not peaceful protests. Oh, yeah, the left wanted to call it that. And you see in the background fires and looting and people being injured. And even a number of deaths resulting from these protests. Before summer of 2020 and since. But in Israel, one of the remarkable things that occurred was, yes, it was an, there were huge protests. Hundreds of thousands of people. On both sides, by the way. Huge numbers on both sides. But the protests were peaceful. In fact, I watched a number of videos of the protests when things were breaking up. Protesters on either side of the roadway walked toward one another and gave each other big hugs. They disagree vehemently. But that occurred. Yes, were there some isolated incidents of violence? Yes, when you have that many people together debating, disputing, that can certainly happen anywhere. But it was minimal, literally minimal. Nowhere near what happened here. I mean, it's not even the same world. But you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't know that from the 60 minutes of which I saw one minute. Again, since then, I've gone back to watch the full segment. They announced it as a discussion of judicial reform in the state of Israel. Statement made by Leslie Stahl. The vast majority of citizens in the state of Israel are against the reform. I mean, she could probably, because I can't believe she would just bald-faced say it without having something to support it, but that just isn't the case. It just isn't. She made no mention of the fact that the governing coalition ran and recently got elected by the population 
in what could be considered over at least the last several years a landslide. I mean, it certainly wasn't, but comparatively. And she says the vast majority, in the face of that, she says the vast majority, even if you look at the protests themselves, the number of people were enormous on both sides. She also claimed that the protests were violent, violent protests. And then, and then you know, in the background, they would show, uh, you know, some incident. And I, they probably put it on a spool to replay over and over again because they couldn't have filled a minute with the number of violent protests. It was not what people would call violent protests in the streets. It was peaceful, democratic protesting. And that's the way it should have been covered. But no, not with Netanyahu as the prime minister. You're not going to cover it that way. What are you talking about? If Yair Lapid was in, then the U.S. is open arms, kumbaya. And 60 Minutes would report peaceful protests. Just a guess. That's all. And then Leslie Stahl said, all because of Bibi Netanyahu pushing to weaken Israel's Supreme Court. So you you talk about the violence, and then you talk about Bibi, and he caused it by this outrageous reform policy of weakening the Supreme Court. That's why I turned it off. That's why I couldn't listen anymore. Because most people have not a clue, and they take what Leslie Stahl says as absolute emiss, the truth, the core of the truth. And then they spread it to other people, and they spread it to other people. That's how you create a pariah out of one of the most generous, most liberal, most free and open and democratic societies anywhere on the planet. That's how you create that. And I I just can't sit by and accept it. I won't. We're going to be right back after this short break. I look forward to continuing to chat. Stay with us. Go to ParkerDK.com. Hey there. Welcome back. It's the Victory Hour. I'm Andrew Parker, and... Uh, We appreciate you joining us yet again this Sunday of Sundays. We're talking about judicial reform in the state of Israel. We've talked about it on a few different shows for sure. This is in the context of the 60 Minutes segment, which was aired last week. Um. Let me go back for a minute and, and give you another example of, of this power of the judiciary in Israel. 
uh, and this idea that Netanyahu's pushing to weaken Israel's Supreme Court, you know, make it sound like uh, he is doing a power grab. Really, uh, if you look at simply the facts, it appears to be moving the country toward democracy. Toward a country where the people control their destiny. Not a group of Supreme Court justices who appoint their successors themselves to make sure that it continues in their view and take on cases that never would be taken on with any standing sort of rules and rule based not upon an interpretation or some grounding or tethered to a constitution, which they don't have in Israel, but rather due to a completely open discretion of reasonable reasonableness. That's the standard. So an example, Israel's Supreme Court, not long ago, invalidated the ministerial appointment of Aryeh Derry, leader of one party in the new governing coalition. It is a religious party, a right-wing party, and it's part of the new governing coalition. He's the leader, and Netanyahu... uh, uh, appointed him as a minister, giving him a, a portfolio. The ruling didn't even pretend to be interpreting Israel's basic laws. Now, basic laws in Israel are the top set of laws in the country, but not a constitution. Israel has not gotten around. They've had some other things to live with over the past 75 years to creating a constitution, but they do have basic laws, basic structures to live by. And it's more to live by that it creates the structure of the government. The Knesset had specifically passed a law authorizing someone in Mr. Derry's situation. He had pled guilty to criminal charges It had specifically authorized someone like that, like him, to hold a cabinet office. But the court said it would be, quote, unreasonable, close quote, for Mr. Derry to be a minister and therefore overruled the prime minister elected by the people. Or at least his party got far more votes than anyone else, and he put together a coalition according to the basic laws and the structure of the government to appropriately lead the government, he selected his minister, and the court said, nah, that's unreasonable. In other words, it canceled the prime minister's appointment of a cabinet member on grounds that it was technically legal because the Knesset, those elected, had passed a law allowing it, but overruled it anyway. a kind of um, impeachment by the judiciary decision made by them with no grounding anywhere. I would say that no judiciary in the world has as far-reaching powers as over the government as in Israel. So to the extent that Bibi Netanyahu 
is submitting judicial reforms to weaken Israel's Supreme Court, even though that appears to me to be a bit of a pejorative statement? I, I don't know. Maybe that's the way, the direction that we should go. Maybe. A debate. They, they're having it in Israel. Again, one of the great democracies in the world, and we're seeing democracy work. Compromise. We're seeing the hurly-burly of making the adjustments. Here are the rules that we want to together live by. Doesn't get any better than that. Well, according to 60 Minutes, it is a disaster delivered to the world by the state of Israel. Now, won't accept it. How about judicial review, the ability of a court to declare that a law violates a country's constitution, as in uh, America? In fact, it is an American invention, and it is a great one at that. Tethering everything to the Constitution. Statutes, laws, passed by the federal government, passed by the states, tethered to the Constitution. It all comes back to that. And if you want to amend the Constitution, so be it. It's not easy, but you can do it. And that's the way it should be. But in Israel... The court assumed the power that it now has that I have described in 1995 when it proclaimed that the Knesset had given it the power to strike down laws. And the way that they did it is they cited a 1992 law under which the court claimed that authority, that that authority, So there was a law in 1992 passed. They interpreted that law to give the court this authority, and they implemented it, started to, in 95. Interestingly, that 1992 law that they rely on was passed in the Knesset 32 to 21. Now, there are 120 members of the Knesset. It passed with 32 Knesset members voting for it. A majority of the 120-member Knesset didn't show up regarding that law that the Supreme Court in 95 decided to use to give it this plenary, overarching authority. Question is, why should a law passed with 32 Knesset votes Trump won that passed with 61, or at least is connected, at least a majority. And I haven't even gotten into the reasonableness standard and how this doctrine of reasonableness as a freestanding basis to block any, any, government action. We don't think it's reasonable. Can you imagine? What choice does Bibi Netanyahu have? This is a system run amok and for the left and the liberals. 
if the conservatives take over somehow uh, or become equal on the court, they're not going to want it to be able to be perpetuated. If they did not have power right now, they would not want it to be perpetuated. And you have to be thinking from a principled perspective, not from your own current power uh, base. Your power reality. Just holding and grabbing a white knuckle onto that power and never giving it up. That's what we see in the streets. Peaceful protests. We're going to be right back after this last short break. We're going to talk a bit about... uh, I want to talk a little about cancel culture. Yeah, you know, we've talked about it enough, a lot. But I, I got a couple of new things, new thoughts. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Go to ParkerDK.com. That's ParkerDK.com. For Parker Daniels Keyboard, award-winning, often referred to, website. It'll be interesting. Premier Law Firm, downtown Minneapolis. Parker Daniels Keyboard. We'll be right back. Hey there, we're back. It's the Victory Hour. We're talking about the 60 Minutes segment. You know, 60 Minutes. I used to watch 60 Minutes. I used to look forward to it. I'm talking, heck, back in the 70s, 80s, a little bit. Then I kind of changed. Um. Remember that uh, Andy Rooney? Of course you do. Andy Rooney, he was that was a great segment. Uh, Mike Wallace, of course, Safer and Reasoner. Ed Bradley. Uh, Diane Sawyer. You know, Severide, Roger Mudd, and Walter Cronkite were all on 60 Minutes. Dating back to 1968, 55 years. It is the longest continuing running show on primetime broadcast TV. Oh, any TV. Um, and it was always called or identified as an investigative journalist program. A magazine with, which could dig into issues deeper than the soundbite. Investigative journalism. Well, it left that pretty early on. And when you look at the list of anchors, you could pull out on one hand those whose personal opinions or attitudes were center, center, right, right. Uh, certainly, you know, Mike Wallace wasn't, nor Dan Rather, for sure. And you could go down the list. 
Charles Kuralt. He didn't get into the investigative journalism piece. He was on the road with Charles Kuralt, wasn't he? I mean, but for 60 minutes, he did some special segments. I kind of liked his segments. Uh, but when I saw this, I, uh, I had to speak out on it. And I, and I thank you for, uh, for listening and giving me the time to do that. I want to talk a minute about cancel culture. Uh, we all know what it is. We know what it can do to people. Uh, you say something in your normal parlance that for decades, for your entire life, has never been pejorative, never viewed as being pejorative, ever. And you're now pilloried for it. You might be deplatformed for it. Heck, you might lose your job over it. Uh, Let's pick, you know, Donald Trump. Listen, whether I'm a supporter of Trump or not, And I've said a number of times on this show, I think it's better for the country at this point for what we need uh, to have someone with Trump policies who's not Donald Trump. That's what I think. That's, That's where it is, and those are my thoughts on it. But let's say I went into a stadium or I went into the grocery store wearing a MAGA hat. I mean, people don't wear the hat because of what might happen to them, particularly in urban centers around the country. Think about that. You can't wear a hat of a U.S. president, whatever anyone thinks about them, without fearing uh, for being attacked. And I would argue that that is a result of a dysfunctional, hate-filled media. Because that is how you get the fervor to this level. You need a tool, and the media is the tool. People have been canceled. You know, people have been canceled for saying the vaccine, back when everyone had to take it, is harmful. Could be harmful. People are not only canceled, some lost their job over not getting the vaccine. Even when they had medical documentation from legitimate, highly credible doctors, their treating physicians who know their symptoms and their issues. And the doctor's statement, the doctor's report is, this person cannot have the vaccine. No, you must have the vaccine to work here. If you don't get it within two weeks, you're fired, et cetera. And people were fired. Now there are legal actions. We've got one, a very, you know, we think a very strong one, uh, down in Northfield, Minnesota. And that is destroying people's lives. Other types of cancellation are, you know, being driven by these societal mores. These are not things that people voted representatives into office and those representatives voted and created a law and people broke the law. That's something different. 
Canceling is simply being out there, being yourself oftentimes, talking about this or that. And, you know, someone who, I don't know, they, they call them snowflakes or whatever they call them. I, I uh, don't generally use that term. But overly sensitive. And they get the person fired or deplatformed or removed or vilified, whatever it might be. Heck, without a court of law determining truth or fact, and I would never be one to defend Al Franken, and I certainly don't defend the conduct that he's accused of, but the conduct that he's accused of has not been determined to have occurred in the way that it was alleged. But he was removed from the U.S. Senate. To the Victory hmm. Hour with Andrew Parker. Join us next week. We're going to have a great show for you next week, and we've got a number of great guests coming in uh, in October. Until next week, have a great week. Miss you already. And many can be expressed in a single word: freedom, justice, honor, duty, mercy, and hope. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.